0: Love Talk Radio
1: Choices, decisions Frustrations and pain Knowing I'm going To forget her someday
2: their hearts and understand that I
3: Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, which is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort. We are just thrilled that we were uh, recently recognized by Dr. Oz and ShareCare as being the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's. And I have to thank you all for being a big, big part of that. We know here that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having everyday conversations about life with dementia, we can remove the stigmas attached to memory loss. We can help those in the trenches take back their lives and live with purpose. Together, we can help professionals and families understand the true needs, not just their perceptions of the needs, of those dealing with dementia. Here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we want to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss, their care partners, both family and professional, as well as advocates supporting the cause so we can all live a better life together. By raising awareness and um, sharing these life stories, we're going to be able to give hope. No longer can this world be driven by fear. Together we can teach people how to live with the disease and not as it. And so we really hope that you will join us on this mission. And check out all of our platforms by just going to www.alzheimerspeaks.com and there you'll find information on our blog and YouTube channel, the radio show, there's free tools and a resource directory, and more will be coming and being added all the time. Our channel expert is Rick Phelps, who has early-onset Alzheimer's disease. And I don't know if Rick's going to be able to make the show today or not. Um, Rick uh, was diagnosed in 2010, and he is the founder of Memory People, uh, which is a group on Facebook, and it's a wonderful support group. And if you have not checked it out, I highly encourage you do that. And all you have to do is go to Facebook, and in the search bar, Put in memory, people, and ask to be part. It's a closed group. So conversations are between um, a little bit of everybody on, on that site, and it's just a wonderful way to just build a community and feel like you've got some resources there. Now, if you have questions during today's show, you can call in live, and that number is 714 four seven five seven. Again, that's 714-364-4757. Or you can use your chat box and make a comment um, at any time and I will be monitoring those throughout the show. I also want to bring up that because people ask me all the time about clinical trials and you know where do I find them and what's going on and there is a new clinical trial that's being launched. Um, It's in its uh, third stage, and you can get more information on that by going to www.don'tforgetalzheimers.com. And there, what's really nice is they've made a um, uh, a webinar, so it's just a video. You click on it, you'll be able to learn more, and it'll lead you on the path if that's something um, that you are, are looking for more information on. So with no further ado, I'm going to go in and um, introduce our guest today. Now, um, Mike uh, Schmerling, I believe, I'm not sure if he's on the line with us or not at this point. So I'm going to have to play that one by ear. He was running a little bit late. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, Andrew first, and then we will check and see if Mike is with us. Now, Andrew Sandler and Mike have both been on the um, uh, on the show before. And they are with Abe's Garden down in Tennessee, which is just a really neat project that they are working on. Now, Andrew Sandler is um, Abe's Garden Executive Director and CEO. He was um, picked to be the leader of this project um, because they want Abe's Garden to be the model of residential living and daycare for those affected by dementia. Um, Dr. Sandler um, has had broad experience as the Director of Assisted Living Communities, one which included dementia and an adult day program. He's been the administrator for uh, a skilled nursing. He holds three degrees, um, graduate degrees, and he's written numerous journals and articles um, and is just very um, well-known in the community himself. So. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing, Dr. Sandler?
2: Good, Laurie, and it's just such an honor to be on your great show, um, and um, I think what you're doing is just so tremendous. You've got a lot of outreach out there. Also, I think it's possible that Mike Schmerling has joined us from another um telephone so at some point if he's there he's going to chime in we're not in the okay. same room but i think he's going to be here at any time on the phone
3: okay i us. think i think i see him out there so i'll pull him in in just a second um so why don't i do this i will go ahead and introduce uh, mike and then we'll go ahead and sure. get started with the interview here uh mike schmerling is a native of uh, nashville and he has received numerous business awards Um, Future 50, um, Inc. 500. In 2009, he received the Community um, Nashville's Human Relation Award. He currently serves on many boards. Uh, He's the board of director for Abe's Garden. Um, He's on the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee, the United Way of Middle Tennessee, uh, Nashville's Chamber of Commerce, Nashville's Entrepreneur's Center, the Performing Arts Foundation, um Healthstream Inc and Renaissance Bank. So, um Mike, I don't know how you do everything you do and I'm just going to get your mic live here so you should be good to go. Are you with us, Mike?
0: I am. Can you hear me?
3: I can hear you. I can hear you. Well, welcome Great. to the show. How are you doing Thank today? Thank you for
0: having me. I'm sorry for the little delay. We had a little uh, problem come up this morning, but we're doing great. Thank you.
3: Not a problem. Like I told uh, Andrew earlier, if there's one thing dementia teaches us, it's to go with the flow, and everything works out the way it's supposed to, so absolutely no issues. I think before um, we roll into some more, more formal questions, what I want to do is just pose a question to each of you, so it'll give our listeners a little bit more insight as to you personally, and so I'd like you to share, if you wouldn't mind, how you got involved with dementia and where you personally touched. And um, Mike, I'll I'll let you go first on that one.
0: Okay. Um, thank you so much again for having me on these uh, on the show again. Um, I was uh, touched by this disease. I really have no healthcare experience, but uh, um, after a 40-year uh, medical practice. My dad was diagnosed with early all, all, uh, onset Alzheimer's disease, and spent the next 11 years uh, with this disease progressing. And uh, I have three other siblings. Uh, I at the beginning was the only uh, one of the four of us in Nashville, and so uh, it, it, it fell on me. And, uh, and of course, my mother, who uh, my dad lived at, the hum- at home for four and a half years, and uh, to to take care of him and to take care of his um, his needs. And uh, it was during that period of time, he passed away in 2006, and it was during that time that I really got to learn a lot about the disease and about um, really about the impact on caregivers and uh, and really the circumstances surrounding um, residential care for people with this disease. Um, The first four and a half years, he did stay at home. And um, after that, my mother, uh, as many people uh, dealing with this, understand that sometimes the caregivers go down faster than the people with the with the disease, and so um, he uh, did go to different uh, Alzheimer's facilities here in national memory care dementia centers and um, so it was really that experience that got me really interested in um, you know what kinds of protocols, what kind of benchmarking is done for people with this disease, what kind of training of staff um, it we just I just couldn't figure out why there was no model. Um, anywhere, that the, the, the differences in practice were wide-ranging from different facilities. And it just didn't seem to, even though it was the sixth leading cause of death in the United States, it didn't have the attention um, that many facilities, uh, many other diseases had with um, research and those kind of things for people living with the disease. So that's just kind of a thumbnail story of how I got involved in the beginning. And since then, we um, I've started uh, uh, with a partnership with uh, Vanderbilt University Medical Center, a effort to build a world-class facility here in Nashville and um, and that will serve as a benchmark, uh, taking best practices from across the country and bringing people together, uh, which you'll hear probably more about in a a few minutes from from, uh, Dr. Sandler, but um, that's really how I got interested in it. It was a personal experience with my my own father, and now it's just a passion of mine, and we've been working uh, on this project now, and we're hoping to um, launch here very soon. In terms of the, uh, groundbreaking, we already have a facility um, that we acquired and put into a 501c3. So that's that's how how uh, how it started and, and how I got interested in uh, and passionate about this effort.
3: It's funny the personal stories and how it changes people's lives and the uh, the mission and the drive and the passion that comes out of these experiences. Um, you know, we look at so many times the disease being having such negative effects, but there's so many positive things that come with this disease um, when we truly look at it, like the work that you're doing. So, I, I thank you for your your time, your dedication, your compassion. Um, you know, towards making you know shifting our dementia care culture and and wanting to make it better. Um, Andrew, how about you? Can you? Um, Dr. Sandler, can you give us a little background on yourself, on if you were personally sure. touched by this disease or not?
2: Well, I've been lucky. Only I've been lucky that I've never had family members who had this disease. Um, I actually went to college to work with children and got a Ph.D. in special education and worked as a school psychologist and enjoyed it. And then had my the most important career break. I think things work out for the for the best. I got the opportunity to run an Alzheimer um, special care unit in a nursing home in 1991. And after that point, I was just hooked. As much as I liked working with children, I really saw that you can make such a difference in making lives better of people who have Alzheimer's disease. When they, unfortunately, have to leave their home and go into a residential setting, if you do the right things, A residential setting does not have to be a sad place. As you said, there are positives, and if if they're done the right way, it can be a positive. Um, Most of the residents are happy, and their needs are being met, and families really appreciate it. So over time, I've just learned to – I've been touched by so many of the residents that I've known and the family members that I've worked with. I've run support groups, and uh, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else, so that's kind of my story.
3: Great. I uh, I do a support group, uh, memory cafe. I brought the first one over to the U.S. and we you know we get together twice a month and for two hours we just laugh. We just we have built such a wonderful community and it's for people with early memory loss and their caregivers and the bond is so tight between our group. It's just. Incredible, the opportunities that are that are before us. So i'm so I'm so glad that you got that opportunity um, and decided to shift gears um, in your career and and make a difference in this in this area because it's so greatly needed. Well, let's talk Thank about you. Abes garden and the vision that you guys have to be a, a nationally you know recognized and really premier example of Alzheimer's residential and adult day community. Um, and, Michael, I'm going to throw this one back to you, and we'll kind of ping-pong our questions here. But what, in your mind, will be the most important feature of Abe's Garden that will make it so unique?
0: Um, I would say that the um, if you look at other great, uh, what we would call branded facilities, facilities that deal with other diseases in the United States, that we would all recognize their name, regardless of the discipline, whether it's cancer, uh, Mayo Clinic, if it's uh, heart disease, uh, MD Anderson, alcohol and drug, Betty Ford, the the names we recognize, why are these names recognized as great places? And the main reason we learned was that all of these facilities, regardless of the discipline, were partnerships between major medical academic institutions and facilities where residents and interns could come there and train, uh, papers published, grants written, research done, and so what happens as a result, and this is historically what has happened really across the world in facilities we know that are great and have um, great results and great uh, benchmarks established, is that these facilities uh, publish information and share information and collaborate and, and develop best practices. And those practices get adopted across those disciplines. So um, one of the things I realized there was no facility like that, in the, in the country that was just a came to top of mind when someone says, what's the best facility for uh, dealing with this disease that, that incorporates all the best practices um, in, this, in the field of, of Alzheimer's treatment and people with the disease, as opposed to pharmaceutical research or, or uh, MRIs and PET scans and people that deal with the brain. But people with the disease and behavioral things that make great days and, and happiness for people, even though they're suffering with this disease. And I realized there wasn't one that just came to mind, and, and other experts like Harry Johns of the Alzheimer's Association said, I can't tell you one that incorporates best practices. So we decided to do that. So I think that to, to your question, what makes us more the most unique is, and I think probably the, what comes to the top of mind for me is the relationship we have with Vanderbilt University Medical Center, and that is a formal uh, collaboration. Um, our family and other family have established an endowed chair there, and they're recruiting a world-class scientist to Nashville to teach in a medical school. They will do what endowed-chair professors do in medical schools. They'll teach residents and and train. They'll write papers, do grants, do research, but they'll also serve as our medical director, clinical director, and that will allow residents and interns to
2: do what they do in other
0: facilities, other uh, disease-related facilities, to really have qualified investigators doing work and coming up with the best practices and, and bringing those practices in from other other places uh, to create a world-class facility. And so there are other universities and medical schools involved with facilities, but maybe not so uh, so much um, to the extent we will. And, and this uh, this very close relationship—they're a mile away from us. So there's a there's going to be a great synergy there. And I think that's one of the foundations that makes. Uh, foundational things that make AIDS Garden and the program that we've designed um, specifically different from day one, and so they're involved in the helping design the program. Uh, they will be involved in the, the, the different disciplines at Vanderbilt in in the area of um, geriatrics, internal medicine, neurology, um, pharmacology. They're all participating in the original um, planning from inception. <laughs> So there are a lot of things that will make us unique, but I, I would I would put that on the table first as one of the things from the beginning um, that helped establish what we what we are and what we want to be.
3: Okay, and, um, Dr. Sandler, anything that you would like to add to that?
0: Yeah, well I would. You know,
2: the Ace Garden team has been doing research on the best practices for over five years and have visited all of the best programs throughout the United States. Um, so I think we're doing our due diligence. What I do believe is going to happen is that residents in Abe's Garden will keep their abilities longer than most national, um, than national benchmarks so that the need for skilled care will be minimized. We really believe that when a resident comes to Ape's Garden, they'll never have to leave because of the progression of their disease, so I think that's important. We're going to not, you know, architecturally we're going to look at all the best practices but also programmatically. And um, there's some specific things that we're going to do, I guess we can get into now or a little later. But um, I think our philosophy is that residents will keep their independence and they're going to keep their abilities. It's going to be a place to enhance memories, not a place for memory loss. That's kind of our philosophy.
3: Oh, I like that. I like that. That's, that's That's a nice way to look at it. And I think that philosophy will really help families engage too, Because I am a firm believer, you know, we we find what we look for, and sometimes um, people are looking for the wrong things. You know, they're focusing on. I I I believe that we we um, remember three things: what saddens us, what scares us, and what brings us joy. And you know, with memory loss, what saddens us is usually the loss. What scares us is usually projecting into the future and we're forgetting about the precious moments right before us. And so um, I think that that will be a wonderful, wonderful um, basis on all levels um, to help not only the person with dementia that you're caring for, but those families and friends engaging and also the staff. Um, I, I think we all need to come together and work as one um, under a joint philosophy, understanding what, what each of us brings to the table. So. uh, I'm very excited about what you guys are doing there. Now, I'm going to throw this one back to you, um, Dr. Sandler. If you can give us maybe some specific examples of, you know, programmatically, you know, what are some of your strategies to make your community, um, you know, excel?
2: Sure. Um, You know, One of our philosophies is that residents should be given the opportunity to do things that they like to do before they became a resident at Abe's Garden. So their day should be filled with meaningful things, our residents, that really make them happy and that evoke memories. So that's really important. Um, One programmatic thing that we're going to stress is that every staff member who works with a resident at will know in detail what that resident was like before they got the disease. It's almost like being a detective. And um, what residents want to do is lots of the times and what, what they need, they can't express those feelings, but if you know the resident and what they were like before, you can um, figure things out. So I really think that every staff member is going to know this resident and their history—it's not going to be—you know—the history is not going to be in the back of a, of a, a chart and then forgotten about. Every resident is going, every staff member is going to know our residents. Um, we're going to look at our residents' abilities and maximize them. We're really going to try to make our residents as independent as possible. I think that's important.
0: Um,
2: and I think we're going to schedule resident tasks and assignments around resident choice and needs. It's not going to be based on staff convenience. It's going to be based on what the resident wants. If a resident wants to eat breakfast at 9.30 instead of at 8 o'clock, they should have that opportunity. If they want to have a shower at 9 o'clock at night or at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they should have that opportunity. So resident choice, I think, is going to just be crucial and very important. So that's kind of some broad things that we're going to be doing.
3: Okay. Mike, anything you want to add to that as far as um maybe something that excites you programmatically that that uh you think is a little bit different and important?
0: Uh, well, I think um Andrew touched on the 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 kind of global um um idea that it it is it, we hear this a lot about being resident centric, but but really trying to um um make them the center of the world, as opposed to policy and procedures. Of course, you have to comply with all the requirements of state and you know the, the, the requirements, but, but really trying to find a way to say, yes, that's possible, as, as opposed to no, and, and, and figure out a reason why that's the case. Um, we're incorporating a lot of outdoor activities. We, we found, with my dad in particular, uh, interestingly, my dad, his sister, and his mother all died of this disease. <clears throat> so we had a lot of experience, even before my dad, with... Family members and, and, and all, but w- interesting, the the uh, uh, desire to be outside was important. So we've incorporated uh, gardens into a programmatic area, and areas, larger areas, where they can walk around and be safe, or they can sit uh, in a park, which we have a three-acre park that's that we're building adjacent to the facility. Uh, that'll be a safe place that they can go with uh, uh, staff or with family members. Um, so incorporating a lot of outdoor outdoor activities that will be available. Um, and the use of things that had seemed to work in other places. We're not uh, you know, taking credit for having all of the greatest ideas in the beginning, but in, in the search that we went on to look at other facilities across the country, um, we saw some wonderful things going on um, in areas of music and art and the use of lighting. Uh, very interesting work being done. And so what we're trying to do is to pick those things that seem to be um, working to incorporate them into the into the program um, at Apes Garden. So um, we get more specifics of, of, of programmatic. And a lot of it deals around the staff and the training of staff, which I know we're we're going to maybe talk about in a little while.
3: Well, I think that's wonderful. Yeah,
2: resident,
0: sorry.
3: Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Sandler.
2: I mean, you know, the specific things, residents who want it every day, the residents will help assist with the snack every day. So residents who like to cook will do that. Residents who um, were house, who worked, you know, as in the house, the rest of their whole lives. If they want to fold towels or do that, that's important. Um, things that were really meaningful. If a gentleman really liked tinkering and, and working um, with tools, he should be able to assist the person putting light bulbs in. Obviously, everything has to be safe. Um, we're going to really incorporate the, a lot of use of animals. I hope there's residents will be able to. Even if they had a dog and that was in the dog fits in the community, they could keep their dog. They'll be able to walk their dog, feed the dog. So things that, that really were meaningful before were really going to stress as far you know as, far as life enrichment, I think that's important. Wonderful.
3: Well, you know, one of the things that I think is so important, too, I do a, um, a webinar called Dementia Chats where I interview people that have early onset. And uh, Harry Urban, I'll, I'll never forget this, he said, you know, sometimes... He said, I just like to sit and be content, and it's okay. He's like, you don't always have to think that I have to be busy. I like to sit and watch the flowers and smell the scents and listen to the birds and absorb the sun before I got dementia. It's okay if I do that now, too. And I think sometimes we think everybody has to be so programmed that we forget about that individuality of what was special to them and what brought them that contentment. And it sounds like you're really going to be focused on allowing them to be purposeful. When you talked about changing the light bulbs, um, my mom's in the nursing home, and you know, in her end stages has been end stages for four years now. And there's a brand-new resident, and she is just the sweetest woman, and she doesn't know she lives there. And she comes and greets me every time I come, and she'll give up her chair and say, You sit here and you know, I just checked on her and she's doing fine and she has such purpose in her life, taking care of some of the other residents. And she's so proud and so sweet and just I mean it's just beautiful um to allow them to to have purpose and so I, I really um I really applaud you guys for looking at those little things um, to make them feel filled um, and knowing that that's going to be important. Um, Mike, you had mentioned um, lighting, which rolls me right into my next question here, because you guys are going to be doing some different things architecturally, because um, Abe's Garden is not built yet. Um, You've you've been researching, um, like, like Dr. Sandler said, you've gone all over the country checking out the best of the best which I think really says a lot about who you are and what your mission is. Um, But can you talk to some architectural features? You had mentioned some lighting, and that grabbed my attention right away because I had just met with um, a man by the name of Steve Steve Orfield, who in Minneapolis, Minnesota here has uh, Orfield Labs, and he um, does all this data research on how we react to things, and lighting was the one that just shocked me. Um, all the different variables and what they are doing to um, make buildings more friendly as we age. Um, and basically, for, you know, they can do it for any demographic. But um, some of the things, it was just astounding that we just take for granted. So, Mike, I'm going to throw this back to you for you to start with. What types of um, examples can you give us architecturally that you think you're going to be doing different than the average bear out there?
0: Well, the uh, one of the interesting things that happened to us is that in the course of this research, we stumbled across some um, executives in the uh, National Association um, that are manufacturers of lighting, um, not just light bulbs, but but ballasts and fixtures, and the the industry itself. And they have been doing a lot of work, uh, as has the uh, senior industry, the senior aging industry, other uh, disciplines, in the impact of light, and the impact of uh, color um, on moods and cues, and uh, w- one of the things, obviously, that, that the easy way to describe how this might work is, they've determined that you know when someone with this disease in really middle or later stages um, uh, kind of loses track of time, that the the colors around them um, will give them cues to let them know what of day it is and what's the next thing happening and to maybe take away some of the confusion um, so for example in the morning they're using you know in, in use of use of light uh, light greens and blues in the morning and more, more um uh, tempered colors in the afternoon and orange and reds or evening give them cues that what's happening next and what time of day it is and what's um, and, and it also there's there's studies that look at uh, sleep patterns and the use of light, so we're also using um, sunlight whenever we can during the day to uh, make it a brighter place so that there's, it's, it's obvious, it's more obvious what, what time of day it is and what the appropriate times, uh, uh, what's next to happen to you, so um, the industry's been great on that and we're incorporating those studies and some of the things that have been done so that we can change lighting throughout the facility, um, whether it's with dimmers or with color or with shades To help provide cues for people that are struggling with this disease. That's just
2: one
3: example. Wonderful. Uh, Dr. Sandler, anything you want to add to the architectural?
2: Sure. Sure. Um, I think it's really important that residents always have the ability to have safe access to the outdoors, Um, obviously, weather permitting. At Abe's Garden, all resident homes are going to face the courtyard. So residents will be have the ability to go outside when they want to. Um, you really want the environment to be home like. You know, at Aves Garden, we are going to have households with front doors that face the courtyard. So it's really going to resemble the home that a resident used to live in. Um, rooms that are not too big, that you know they'll have familiar decorations and furniture uh, I think is important. Um, if anybody's like me, food is just one of the most important things. And I think the kitchen in almost every household is the focal point of most households. And that will be the same thing at Habe's Garden with its country kitchen. Bedrooms will be near the house, will be near the dining room, so residents will be around to see the food being prepared at our country kitchen. They'll be able to smell the food, see the activity, participate, And I think that that's going to be an important feature at Age Garden and should be in most communities. It also gives the residents the opportunity to then eat their breakfast when they want to do it and, you know, around their preferences. So that's going to be important. Um, And um, everything, you know, should resemble like, like what a home was like. I think that's just environmentally that's very important.
3: I, I totally agree. That comfort, you know, everyone is always uh, wondering what is what does somebody want when they say they want to go home, and and families always think, and staff many times think, well, if they want to leave the building, and you know, really, it's it's much bigger than that. It's it's much deeper than that. It's about making them feel comfortable um, in a home-like atmosphere. It, it gets back to I think that home is where the heart is, and so really, taking uh, making a conscious effort. In terms of developing a physical environment that allows that um, that nurtures that is is so critical um, for people with dementia and then you layer that with a social environment that nurtures that and I think it's just going to be an absolutely beautiful beautiful um, community and one that hope hopefully others will pick up um, and understand the importance of, of packaging the two, two pieces together um, because one cannot be done without the other um, and have the results that we're looking for, in my mind anyways. Um, the next question I wanted to ask you was, you're also looking at doing some unique kind of training ideas um, for your staff to ensure that, that they're really competent. And, Dr. Sandler, I'm going to throw that back to you.
2: Well, you know, in most hospitals and nursing homes and other long-term care settings, staff traditionally, you know, they get their training in 30- to 60-minute sessions. They go, they listen to a lecture once a month, and it's questionable how much information is retained in that way. We want to do things different at Abe's Garden. Our goal is that we're going to focus on a single aspect of care and have short weekly meetings, Um, so weekly things that are going on in the unit that are important will be our topic, and for 20 or 30 minutes, we'll talk about that issue and show a video, for example, how to give residents more choice and how to communicate that with, you know, with for example, how do you pick out your clothes and what's the best way to do it. So it's a little topic. We'll talk about it, and then for that whole week, we'll be observing and giving feedback to the staff as they're going about that. So it's a completely conceptually different way of dealing with staff training, I think, um, than um, the traditional model. Obviously you have to have some lectures to talk about fixed topics, but on an ongoing basis we're going to approach it that way, using videos and different modalities to get the point across. So I think that's unique. And actually this came from the Vanderbilt Center of Quality um, Excellence, um, their program and we're going to be working with the people of Vanderbilt to help us with this, so
0: um I'm really excited about this model.
3: Wonderful, Mike, anything you want to add about training?
0: um I think that um, Andrew really covered it the The idea and one of the things that we hope to um to utilize at Abe's Garden is the idea that we had a strong respect and uh a, a career path and recognition and appreciation of the staff. We know that you can build the best facility in the world, and you can spend a fortune doing it and have all the bells and whistles and, and things. But it really comes down to the people inside the facility that deal with the with the residents day in and day out. And so, selecting the right people and giving them an opportunity to grow and to. And to Show the appreciation you have for those people, and to give them where they see that this is not this industry. It's it's interesting to me that I've uh, in in all the facilities. My dad was in five different facilities during the course of his illness uh, for many many reasons. Uh, it, it didn't work out, and why did he move? But we always noticed that there was a, a, a very rapid turnover, um, and 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 one of the reasons for that is that the compensation levels at the at the at the basic care worker level were were low and. Benefits were uh, not tremendous, and, that, and but more importantly, they weren't appreciated maybe as much as, as they would and certainly not as much as they are in other industries. So I think that people really want to um, – uh, there are people that want to take this uh, job very seriously, and, and many do in this country, but to give them an opportunity to grow a career, um, to have recognition, and that's as important as training, but to really – try to let them feel like they are making a, a very important uh, contribution. Uh, and let's face it, you have to have passion and compassion to, to go into this field. And so incorporating that training as a development opportunity and a, and a career path to let that grow and, and nurturing the staff, I think, is a key thing um, that is unique about the, the program. And we're going to focus on that um, at the top of the list. And I think that's the, uh, equally important uh, in addition to the training uh, issues.
3: You know, I like that idea because it keeps the conversation going. It keeps it fresh. And I think if um, I'm a big believer in what I call emotional-based training, if you can get away from some of the clinical standards of, you know, sticking in the box of this is the way it has to be done, and not that it, you, can, you can't you can get away from all of that, um, but if you can get Get into your staff's head and pull out their creative ability and make them feel like their voice matters and their ideas matter. Um, I think you'll be able to do amazing things. Um, one of the one of the problems I see when I go out training is you know everyone is just used to kind of the talking um, the talking head. If it's a PowerPoint webinar or you know it's research based and people really want to talk about these small issues that can create big problems or can be very joyful, and so if you can tap into that on an ongoing basis and really have that open door policy, um, because it sounds like you know some people might be listening and go, oh, that's just their shift update thing that you're doing, and it's like, no, this is this sounds like it to me, it will really be different, and it'll really be honed in um, to to really. Um, be able to help those staff serve better. Um, I would also, um, and this is just my personal bias, um, <clears throat> I would also highly encourage you, um, because you're going to have a great opportunity, having a brand new um, facility, is to also start off, you know, kick the door open with um, family training as well. Um, and maybe even, um, you know, do some recording so the information is shared because one of the biggest problems I have seen out there is that, okay, now you've got the staff trained, but the family have a huge impact on the care. Um, if they're, they're a lot or if they just visit, you know, spotty, um, their impact is huge. And if you can get them to understand the language, if you can get them to understand the options available to them, if you can get them to understand that their voice is important, um, you're going to be able to, um, again, I think have that resident be much more comfortable, faster, longer, and you're going to tap in um, to their compassion and probably find a lot, of, lot more volunteer and um, donation aspects um, kick in gear you know, when you get them engaged. And so I think that that's something that is not being done, and that was something I, I had just launched with my Shifting Your Dementia Care Culture where we, we basically use the same materials for both, and, and some people argue, well, it's different. And I, <clears throat> I'm a firm believer it, it can't always be different. You know, we have to start coming together with this disease and talking a common language because we all have impacts. So that's kind of my two cents. Um, hey, Lori, can I ideas. interrupt
2: for a second? Sure. I think you touched on some really important something really important um, because I almost see it as it's as a triad. You've got the resident, you've got the family member, and the direct staff member. I, I have a echo. Hopefully, you can hear me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what I'm seeing is, I really want. Who are the people that are taking that are going to take care of the residents, I want them to have consistent assignments, so they're going to always be the same people i don 't believe we're going to have high turnover, so the same person will be taking care of the resident. The family member is going to know that caretaker, the caregiver, and they're all going to be working together. The common goal is for the is for the resident to feel comfortable, so everyone's going to be working towards the same goal and What I think is important is that the direct care staff who take care of the resident is really empowered to make decisions, work with the family. It shouldn't be the nurse t- making all the decisions on what the resident needs. I think the person who actually is with the resident every morning, helping them bathe and dress, is probably the most important person in the team, and they should have the ability to really make suggestions and work directly with the family. So I see it as, as an interaction, just as you said. I think it's a, very important. And I think social work, we'll have a full-time social worker that helps make this you know, that makes the um relationship between the family, the staff and the resident a positive one also. Because I think you do need social workers to help with that. I think that's oh,
3: I, I agree and I, I getting them all on the same plate. One of the other things that I did with my training program, and I don't know if you're gonna incorporate this in yours, but um when I did these sessions I was adamant staff you have to pull staff together maintenance to administration because we are also siloed by our duties, and there is so much great information that the food service knows, that the laundry people know, that the maintenance guys see that aren't being shared because it's not asked. No one's asking them for their opinion unless they are really outgoing, um, you know, it, it, and they have some great insights, and um, and just those small interactions when they're in a room, cleaning or something, are very important. Um, because that is that's a powerful time for that person with dementia. And that can go really good or it can go really bad. And so what I found in, in doing these was sometimes people were really shocked at the insights and the information that these positions held. And, um, and I've seen some places too, where they mandate um, you know once a month or once a week, every single position. In the in the community, has to spend 15 minutes on a one-on-one time with a person with dementia, and it's it's for a couple of reasons. One, to get to know um, their their clients better, um, but two, for them to have an appreciation for why they're there in the first place. This is why you have a job, because I think sometimes people forget that, and I, I found that that also interesting. But um, I think yeah, I think that's another. Yeah, several other questions that I want to ask. And time, of course, is just flying by here. So um, we kind of touched on, you know, the epidemic in the the senior care world um, as far as turnover. And it looks like you're really going to be doing some neat things. And, again, just like with a person with dementia, if your staff feel purposeful, you know, they're going to stay, you know, if they feel connected. So I think we've kind of answered that one. Um but was there anything else that you wanted to add? I should probably just bounce that off you and and Dr. Sandler, I'll let you go first on that.
2: Well I, I also believe that, you know, I know that I go to work every every day from eight to five or eight to six, Monday through Friday, and I want the director staff to, have a, you know, to be able to have a consistent schedule that they can know works within their lifestyle. So I think scheduling is very important. Some people want to work over weekends. Some people want to work weekdays. So I think finding schedules that meet our staff's needs and being, having it predictable for them is very important. That's something that's important that we're going to work towards.
3: Well, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Mike, anything you would like to add there?
0: No, I think I think uh, that was was pretty much covered. Uh, again, just the um, creating the career path and development, and appreciation, and really nurturing um, staff and incorporating family. I think you made a great point um, of of really how important family is in the in the overall care. So, um, no, I think that's been covered.
3: Yeah, and I know you guys were were talking about doing kind of some unique program features to pull. Families and volunteers, and and Mike, do you want to go ahead and start with that one?
0: Uh, sure. Um, obviously, with all the outdoor activities, we've included some, uh, things we know that uh, children, for example, and, and in this case, uh, grandchildren and others would would want to come. We have a, a beautiful playground we're going to build, and we we think that'll be a um, a, a great amenity. Uh, currently, um, the facility that we're building age garden on is a is an existing facility. I mentioned earlier, and um, we have 90 residents there now uh, approximately with um, independent living and assisted living. Um, And so incorporating families and programming for uh, whether it's concerts or it's um, art exhibits or um, we've had all kinds of things, but we think that will be a a real addition to uh, when we have an Alzheimer's patient population to have families come and participate with their loved ones on campus and normal activities that they can come and and enjoy so that it's more of a community um, as opposed to just a facility or just an institution. And um, that campus, whether it's outdoor activities or cookouts or um, uh, bonfires with singing, things that would be done in the normal course of life as opposed to, um, you know, limiting to what we think and believe their capabilities are. know, having them indoors for uh, a week straight, that type of thing. So, uh, all kinds of activities with families and programming that would, uh, and 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 doing some more creative things. And we've seen this in some other facilities across the country, and 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 some great activities. Uh, again, the pioneering thing we're hoping for at Abe's Garden is to bring all the, as many of the best practices as we can find around the country, uh, those things currently in use, and and things that are are being talked about, and the um, in the professions, things that have been published are just not being implemented. Um, and bringing them in and trying new things and have a, a real experimental kind of a, a, a place where we're not afraid to try something new. And, and if it works, you, you continue it. So that's kind of a, well, a, a thirty thousand foot view of that.
3: Interesting. When you said when you said the campfires with the sing along, my heart just melted because I thought, oh, my mom, she would have just loved that because she would, we'd go up to the lake and we always had campfires and we didn't necessarily do the sing alongs, but she loves to sing and. Stuff, and I just thought, oh, just how how fun. How, I mean, just Yeah, Yeah, well, when you think
0: about it, you obviously have to be uh, extraordinarily careful with the fire. But, mm-hmm. um, okay, so they make a mess when they eat their s'mores, okay? So what? Yep. They, still yep. like, they still would probably appreciate that and probably have memories of eating s'mores around a campfire at some point in their life. So why not? What's the downside, right?
3: Exactly. Exactly. Dr. Sandler, do is there anything you wanted to add
1: to that?
2: Well, we just, you know, one of our goals is that when a family visits, it's going to be a successful family visit, and we need to make sure that we help families have expectations that are realistic and structure their visits so that it's an enjoyable experience for them. And I think social workers will help doing that. So it is a goal that I think it's going to be such a lovely environment. Families are going to want to visit it. It's not going to be that. Sometimes people have the stigma that it's going to be like a nursing home that smells bad and is and is just a, no one wants to visit a nursing home. I think it's going to be the food's going to be good. It's going to be a happy environment. There's going to be music, animals. It'll be intergenerational for children. So that's my goal, that it's going to be a real positive experience, not just for the resident, but for families.
3: Oh, exciting, exciting. I, I can't wait to visit when you guys uh, get it up and running, because it just sounds like it will be an absolutely wonderful place to be. Where my where my mom is at, we added a uh, a waterfall, and that just, like, changed everything environment-wise. Um, and we started outside with that. But the administrator even told me, he's like, Lori, um that has changed how we view everything because everyone just gravitates to this waterfall and it's a great place for picnics and it's a nice place to have conversations and it's you know so it's just those little things that can have huge impact in terms of making people feel comfortable. And if you can remove that angst and you know that discomfort, that's that's massive. that's absolutely massive. Uh, in terms of getting people to engage in in rewarding ways, so very very neat. Um, next question here: What kinds of you know outdoor activities? We had talked about you know um, you're going to really have some gardens and things like that, and it sounds like you're going to have a fire pit. Are there some other types of outdoor activities? Are you going to have like walking paths or? Um, anything like that, and and uh, Dr. Sandler, I'll throw this back to you.
2: Well, I think Mike Mike's probably better at this question than me because he's got this great vision of us driving our residents in golf carts. We have a lovely campus, and that we're really going to use the entire campus. Um, so we we're going to actually be able to take them further away than just the enclosed courtyard in our golf carts. Um, we've oh. talked about having a pond where resins could maybe fish. Mike, why don't you, you've, you've got the vision about this. Aspect.
0: Sure. Well, we're very fortunate. The site that we already own has about eight acres, and it's just spectacular property. Um, and in the rear, there is uh, three acres that has never been developed, and we're creating the park there. And um, small roads that you would see typically at a golf course that were wide enough just for a golf court to go through. So, <laughs> Uh, my dad just loved uh, doing things outside of the facility. When you spend 24-7 inside of a, of a, of a uh, even in the nicest uh, home, it's nice to get out. And, and it's nice also for family members to have something to do with their loved one and they can take them on a ride uh, through the park. We'll have water features and things. So creating different kinds of experiences for those that want those uh, or need those kinds of things Um we think we think will be um, a real advantage, and it will give us an opportunity to 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 uh, really. And I think Vanderbilt's very interested in doing research on mood changes um, uh, after a, a thirty a forty five minute uh, ride outside in a beautiful forested area. Um, is the mood different than it would typically be at four o'clock in the afternoon? And and to really be able to, to make note of that and 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 say, wow, maybe this has a greater application to more people. And 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 maybe they don't have the ability to have a three-acre park or a, a golf cart, but at least that's information we know, and it, it would uh, maybe maybe change the way uh, uh, treatment plans or life plans work for people with this disease. So. Um, oh, I
3: like that life plan. Um, I like right. that you know um, living with the disease, not as it. I really like that life plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Very neat. Well. It sounds like a great place. I want to sign up so if I need it, I can I can be on the waiting list. It just sounds absolutely beautiful. <laughs> um, well, we're we're we've got about oh, gosh ten a little ten about ten minutes left, uh, seven minutes here. So this time has just flown by. But you guys have just um, you've just lifted my soul in terms of knowing what it is you're doing and and your approach. I think it's just so. Absolutely beautiful, and um, I, I want to just thank you both um, and and everyone else involved because I know this is is, is not just about the two of you. There's there's got to be many many others involved in in pulling something like this off. So, um, you know, you guys recently had a big two day event, and I, I'm going to throw this to Mike first. Can you explain to us? You know, you had pulled in a lot of experts. Um, you know, what was the purpose of of your two day event, and and what did you learn?
0: Well, we had a uh, what's called a charrette, which is a um, a uh, kind of a planning session and on, on steroids, if you will. Um, and what what we did was I, we had mentioned earlier we had been traveling around the country for literally five years, looking at facilities that were recommended to us by others. And, and, and looking at facilities and looking at program and well, how do you train your staff and these kinds of things. And but we knew that it was important to also hold something here in Nashville so that some of those great experts around the country that have uh, wonderful reputations and a lot of experience uh, could come together in one place and um, share their experience, review our initial plans. We've already done uh, you know created these construction plans that that. Um, Fit within the existing site that we have and um, the space usage and, and the program. So we brought together the, the team at Vanderbilt that we've been working with, uh, Dr. John Schnelli, Dr. Sandra Simmons, um, other uh, faculty members at the uh, in, in geriatrics, internal medicine, the various disciplines there. Uh, Dr. Debbie Robin, who's on our board, brought together um, uh, uh, geriatric experts from across the country: Rosemary Baker, Margaret Hawkins. Some of you who have read on this subject of um, life with this disease have heard of some of these people uh, from uh, Weill Cornell Medical College and just different people in different aspects of the field. Um, people involved in designing interiors. Um, so all came together with, with architects and engineers and the, and the research people and physicians all in one place in Nashville and spent um, really a day and a half locked in a room, um, and we actually, we actually held the charrette at a, uh, our uh, national public television affiliate here in Nashville, and um, they filmed the charrette. Uh, it was a great place to, to, to hold it because there was a natural studio there because they're, they're doing a, a, a feature on this subject matter of how you get to best practices on anything, and, and it is truthfully about communication and sharing knowledge. So rather than us just you know design something and do it, we, we pull together some of the great people in the country. Um, Andrew, you could speak to uh, probably how many, but I, I, I was there all day as well, and there were maybe 25 people in the room, all different disciplines represented, mm-hmm. um, specialists in furniture, specialists in lighting, to share information and to review and comment on our plans and to add their expertise to the effort. So... We do that on the front end as opposed to on the back end, and uh, it was just a spectacular success. And uh, Andrew, why don't you comment and and maybe get some more color on it? Well, you know, I think I've used the word home-like
2: a lot, and that was always our goal, but when we showed the experts our plans, they gave us some extra ways to make it more home-like. We reduced hallway length in our new plans based on the charrette so that residents have less distance to travel. we, you know, we, wanna, we really tried to eliminate, and you know, we go to a hospital, you've got rooms on both sides of a hallway. We reduced some of those. Um, the other thing we did and we learned is that we really put front entrances on our households right into the courtyard. We found ways to be able to really make it um, look like more like a home from the outside. So when residents leave their own home and then they're going to go to another program, they go into another home, it's like they're visiting somebody else. So we thought that was a good idea. Um, And then the other thing that we kind of really changed and thought about is reducing the stigma of Alzheimer's disease. All Ava's Garden will be adjacent or be part of, um, we have an independent and assisted living community and we're finding ways to integrate our independent living residents into the beautiful courtyard um, so that there's more of an interaction between all the elements in our community because we really don't want to see it as this horrible place where people don't have any memory. We want to make it a positive. We'll have concerts in our courtyard where all the residents can visit from the whole community. Um, and uh that just I think fundamentally were important changes that we learned from, they made from the charade
3: Well and I think too the you know the people in your other communities, um I, I see this all the time when I'm out. There's people in assisted living that have memory loss. And um, oh, yeah. If we can make them more comfortable, and if we can make their their care partners more comfortable, um, that's that's huge because there's so much fear wrapped in this disease. It just paralyzes people, and so we really need to get these conversations, you know, going. And we have to kick kick down the wall of stigma and say, you know what? You can live with cancer. You can live with diabetes. You can live with this disease too, and it's not. It doesn't have to be this. Horrible, dreaded disease, yeah, would I pick to get it no i I wouldn't sign up for it, but there is life with dementia, and it can be a beautiful thing i I personally have left uh, you know i I thank my mother every day for her having this disease because she has taught me to be such a better person you know she has she has um given me the ability to connect on levels that I took for granted. You know, she has given me the, the gift of, of true unconditional love and the ability to um, really show me what it's like to live without an ego, you know, in the later stages and, and to be uninhibited and to be true to herself. And, you know, sometimes we might call those behaviors because of comments, they lose their filters, but they are being so authentic. And most of us, you know, we don't have the gonads to do that because we're worried about what everyone else is going to think. And and she is the safest place in the world for me to go visit because she just doesn't judge me, and she's taught me how to how to do that more in my own life. And and so there's there's so many gifts. Um, I I really think this disease is here in a in a massive way. To almost recenter us here as humans, and say, you know what, we got to get back to the basics and and what's important um, in life. You know, is it your things? Is it your status? Or is it really your relationships and who you are as a core and what you're willing to give back to others? And for us to realize, um, as a as a nation and a world, that you know, when we give we receive so much back and you know i think we have to change the word that we use you know we we talk about caregiving and you know giving is you know giving stuff away and it's draining and you know all of the things you're talking about i would i would love um you to join me and i and i slip up sometimes but i really try to use the word care partner because it is a two-way street and um you know, we just have to be more conscious and respectful of, of what's going on in the world and how we're treating one another and, and, you know, putting on that detective hat to see what's causing those reactions that we don't like that we will then term a behavior. Because so many times we can change the, the physical environment or our social environment and poof, they're gone. And that's what I think is so special about what you're doing is you guys have really, uh, you know, you're really paying attention um, to not just what are people doing and copying it, but you're questioning it. You're asking, what is working? Why is it working? That's just, you know, most people don't take the time. And I I just think it's absolutely fantastic the amount of research and work that you are doing to really set yourself apart, I, I firmly believe in, in the bottom of my soul that it's going to pay off in a big way, um, for you all. And so I, I really thank you so much, um, again for what you're doing. Um, Mike, was there anything else that you wanted to to add? Um, our hour has flown by.
0: The only thing I would add is that, um, um, as I guess everybody else in the world uh, has, we have a website. People are welcome to go there, and uh, obviously in an hour show you can't uh, tell everything, but there's a lot of detail, and um, you can learn a lot more about us and the project and uh, the things we're doing and, and see old newsletters and those kinds of things that we've been putting out for five years about the project. So that, that I would encourage anybody that wants more information to, to, to check out Abe's Garden dot uh, org and uh, pretty easy to find. So thank you for, for all you do for this uh, um, for the people in the country that are suffering for this. You you're, you you don't realize the impact of the show. Uh, this is the second time we've been on, and I don't know was it a year ago, but yeah, it, about it a year. does make a difference. And and you're making a great contribution to all efforts. You've helped us in many ways you don't even know because of the show. So thank you so much for all you do as well.
3: well. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um I did want to ask too. Um will the charrette, you said it it was filmed is that something the rest of us can, can will be able to take a peek at at all cuz I I would love to see that. <laughs> myself. I,
0: I don't think it's it's you know out of editing and all that yet. And I okay. think they're, what what the they are doing is incorporating it into a broader um national public uh national uh, public television um of production that they're doing. Um, Wonderful. But,
3: uh, oh, that's fantastic. Well, that'll be that'll be great yeah. because I, I mean, uh, I talked to a lot of people all over the world, and I had never heard of that before. And I'm like, oh, I love this idea because I'm a big brainstormer and collab. I, I just, you know, I love collaboration, and um, so I, I just, I think that was very, very neat as well. Um, Dr. Sandler, anything that you would like to add before I get to our next guest here?
2: No, but you just have a wonderful energy and a wonderful philosophy about dementia care, and I echo everything that you said. Thank you
0: for having us.
3: Well, thank you. You guys have a wonderful day, and I appreciate all the time that you spent with us today. I could, you know, personally, I could just chat with you guys all day long because um, you're just doing such neat things. and. I'm so I'm so happy that you were able to join us on the show and let us know, you know, wh- what you're doing and why you're doing it. Do you guys have a time frame? Um, I know that you were still in the, in the fundraising um, end, and I'm sure if any of our listeners want to donate to this wonderful community, there's a way to do that. Again, if you go to org. they would love to um, be able to talk with you on that. Um, and you can help them out there as well. But do you have a time frame, um, Mike, for breaking ground?
0: Yes, our goal, our plan and goal is to break ground in 2013, probably in the first six months. And um, I think we have a, that will be for the first major phase, which also includes a day program, um, which will be a misstated day. It's day and night. Come any time and stay as long as you want type of thing, as opposed to a strict eight-to-five traditional kind of a, a day program. But that part of it and the residential, first phase of the residential, should break ground next year.
3: Oh, exciting. I mean, that's almost here. I mean, it's almost Turkey Day already, and, you know, it's it time, time will fly. And um, we'll have to have you on just to talk about the, the day program or the 24-hour program, whatever you want to call it. I think that that's a wonderful, wonderful concept, and I'm only aware of one other one in the country and um yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to have you have you both back to talk on that. But in the meantime, again, keep up the great work and thank you so much for all you're doing and um you're more than welcome to come back on the show anytime at all. Okay?
0: Thank, thank you so much.
3: Okay, bye. thanks now. Bye bye. I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our next guest here. Um Bethany um Buchanan is a nurse, and she's also the owner of Grace Homes, which is a residential um, home care for uh, seniors with dementia and Alzheimer's. And Bethany was uh, started out as a CNA, and uh, then moved on to being a registered nurse, both in hospital and residential care. And she um, has been in in these settings for quite some time now and over 20 years. She lives in southwest Minneapolis, so she's up in Minnesota by me, and I, I'm really looking forward to, to talking with her because I get so many people asking um, because there's many places around the world that don't have kind of small homes for residential care. So, Bethany, how are you doing today? Welcome.
1: Hi, Thank you.
3: Great. Well, how, are you? Wanted, how are you? I'm doing good. I wanted to um first ask you if you can give me a little bit of background in our audience, a little bit of background on on dementia. And have you been personally touched by it with a with a family member or loved one? Or how did you how did you fall into this?
1: Well, I um did work um you know many years in the the hospital setting and just um always really loved the elderly folks that I cared for and um i particularly was drawn to people with memory care needs um because they can they can actually um You know, like you said earlier in the show, you know, they can show you how to not be judgmental and let go of things. Um, They can be a whole lot of fun. Um, They just speak their mind. Um, We actually, at my care home, do a lot of laughing with our residents at funny things that, you know, we all say. So it's just just something, it's just a population that I personally, as a professional, you know, I, I love working with them. I have not had a loved one um, have dementia. So it's just through my um, professional
0: practice.
3: Okay, okay. Well, can you, you know, tell our audience what a residential care home is and, you know, how, how big is it or is it located, um, those types of things, and then we'll kind of go from there.
1: Sure. Well, a residential care home typically houses 10 folks or less. Um, It's usually in a single family home, and they are in typically a residential neighborhood, meaning there's other homes around, parks, people walking around. Um, So the point of it is to um, allow people to feel like they're in their own home when when they're in that setting. So they look around, it feels and looks like, you know, a home they might have grown up in or spent their, um, you know, later years in.
0: Um,
1: the staffing ratios are typically quite outstanding in residential care homes. Um, I have anywhere from seven, six to eight people in my care home, and we have two staff on caring for those people um, for all their waking hours. So that's another um, positive aspect of the residential care home that's different. It's a lot of personal attention and personal care.
3: Okay. And then for our listeners, are you uh, regulated at all, or how does that work?
1: We um do hold licenses two different licenses from the Minnesota Department of Health, and we have to file um various regulations with them, such as there always needs to be a registered nurse on site or available um on call twenty four <clears> twenty <throat> four um, seven and um Everyone has to have care plans, um, you know. If people have a fall or a certain incident, you know, there's certain requirements. The state lets us know we need to keep records with that. So okay, that so you do career.
3: you do need to be licensed and stuff because I know that that's something people always, you know, wonder about. Is it just in anybody's home or you know how does that how does that work and um, differentiate itself there? So. Um, when you go to um, when someone comes and is considering moving in, what is the process um, that that one goes through um, to see if they're a good fit for your place?
1: Well, typically the families will come out and they'll take a look at the house and the room that I have available, and we talk about their needs. Um, then. <clears throat> um, I will go out to where they are um, either living or if they're in a transitional care unit or a hospital, I'll go there, meet them, do a nursing assessment, talk to the people that are caring for that person, and then um, determine along with the family and any staff currently caring for them if they'd be a good fit for my home. and then, and then there's just a contract to sign.
3: Okay, okay. And then, is it a private pay, or is this covered by insurance? That's always a question that people want to know. <laughs>
1: That's a great question, Lori. Um, for my my home, we do require folks to have three years of funds to pay privately. And once our my residents run out of money. We help them transition to the elderly waiver program, which is a program um, run by the state and county governments um, that would give me, as a provider, a reimbursement for that person's stay. So um, that's, I think, that's a nice thing, you know, so mm-hmm. that people never have to move; they can just stay um, in my home until they, um, till the end of life.
3: So. Okay. And so they're able to stay? You can you can do, you know, even like a hospice-type situation if need be?
1: Yeah, 99% of our residents do um, pass away in my home um, because, you know, we do do a higher level typically of dementia care, um, and our folks are usually, you know, in their late 80s, 90s. We've even had a gentleman in his hundreds. Um, So we we do do the hospice care. We do partner with Saint Croix Hospice. Um, So they do give us additional support, additional um, staff to come out and help bathe, additional nursing support. They help um, get various equipment that's needed, such such as oxygen and. Uh, special hospital bed as needed, um, you know, during those last months, weeks, or days of life. So
3: Okay, okay, wonderful. We do a lot of That's...
1: hospice care.
3: Okay. Now, um, why do you feel the, the smaller setting is better than the bigger setting? And I know you're going to have a bias there. We all have our biases, but go for
1: <laughs> it. <laughs> but just go for it. <laughs> well, first of all, I do want to say... Um, you know, I appreciate the gentlemen that were on before me in that they are working and thoughtful and mindful of making the larger facilities feel more homey with shorter hallways and neighborhoods, et cetera. So um, it's a wonderful trend to see that new building. Um, the residential care home, it's just its a lot more personal. Um when people have dementia, Lori, as you know, they really don't like a whole lot of surprises or new things. Now, the residents in my home are really only exposed to the nine staff members that I have, who are mostly full-time, and myself and my husband, um, you know, and the various um persons that come in uh, to provide exercise or whatever, but they see the same faces caring for them day after day, and it's comforting to them. And those caregivers know their routine and their likes and their dislikes. They know that 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 elderly person, um, you know, wants this particular strawberry jelly on their toast, and it cut in half. And, frankly, it keeps the residents happier because they, you know, they have what they want and the caregivers know what it is that they want and they keep to their routines and they cater to their preferences and likes. And um, they are to me, they just are happier and calmer that way. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the small environment and the high, um, you know, uh, staff-to-resident ratio and the fact that, you know, they're, it's just so small, they're just seeing the same caregiver day after day after day mm-hmm. who know them intimately.
3: <clears throat> well, and that, that is nice. And, you know, I had one person say, well, what, do you have to spoil somebody with dementia? You know, because they hear about, you had said, catering to them. And it's like, well, I wouldn't call it spoiling them um but it really is focused i mean cuz i'm not giving giving them something that's not deserved you know they just want to be comfortable you know it's it's not buying their love it's not you know it's a whole different uh it's a whole different level but there's um like we had talked in the earlier hour there's so many things that we can do on a social level and on an environmental level to get rid of some of these reactions um that we don't mm-hmm. like. And when we don't like the reaction mm-hmm. we call it a behavior. And half the time we're mm-hmm. the triggers to the behavior. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. It's um, it's just kind of funny that sometimes we have to look within ourselves to say, what am mm-hmm. I doing? You know, to mm-hmm. cause this problem. And when you're in when you have that quainter environment, um, I think it's easier to see it and have those conversations sometimes. So that's that's really neat. I want to talk about um, the types of programming that you do for your, for your residents with dementia. Can you give us some examples of of um, what someone could expect in a small group home?
1: Sure. Well, um, we have a physical fitness specialist who comes in three days a week and leads a group exercise class. The staff does um various stretching and walking um with the folks um on the days the physical fitness specialist isn't there so every day around 10 they get some type of exercise even if a person is in bed it's some stretching you know some work with some exercise bands um we have a program that is prob it's might, might be unique um, in that we have our residents do chores and um, all people that can do chores have chores. So we have three men that sit in the kitchen every afternoon and they chop up fruit with butter knives for dinner. Um, they bake cookies. <laughs> um, sometimes they mix jello and, and do you know various types of kitchen chores. We have a Another gentleman who's a little higher functioning who gets the mail every day, Um, he sweeps a small portion of the front walk. Um, Another lady, she um, feeds and waters her cat. She can't move much. She's got one good arm, Um, and she also takes care of our plants. To just give you an idea, that's um, part of our programming because we feel – that our residents want to feel useful, they want to contribute to the household they live in. Um it ra- helps raise their self esteem. Um they sometimes um you know aren't always interested in coming <laughs> to do their chores. Uh but with some Just gentle like persuasion. the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I right. Like right all the time is <laughs> it right but usually with some gentle persuasion, um, you know, they will come and do their chores, and they're usually um, whistling and singing and happy once they get into it. Okay. So that's another big piece of our programming. Um, okay. And then we do the types of things that lots of other assisted living do. We have outings to the arboretum to see the various displays, um you know, go and pick out apples at the apple store afterwards. We, um, you know, do a lot of singing, of course. Any memory care facility, um, you know, always is pretty good with utilizing that. One of our staff plays accordion, and they sing a lot of familiar old songs um, that they can remember the words to. So they really enjoy that. And then... <laughs> I was
3: going to say even as they decline, I like with my mom in her later stages, she can't say the words, but she still kind of knows the tune and the days she doesn't really, you know, know that, she still she likes the music. You know, it's just a calming mm-hmm. factor. So, um I think knowing, you know, what music they like um and what will trigger, you know, happy and sad for them it, is important um for all of us to know. So that's nice that you guys are incorporating that. That's very neat. Very neat. Um Thank you, Lori. When you, when you take um your residents out, this is something I'm always interested in. <laughs> How does the community react? When you when you go to a restaurant or you go out or um, are you viewed a little different? Because again, I'm just big on kicking the wall of stigmas down, and I think people need to know what it's like. You know, if if you guys are having issues or not, or you know, and how subtle are they, and things like that. So, if you wouldn't mind sharing some thoughts, sure, that would be great.
1: Well, I take the residents out. We have a big Subaru station wagon. Um, and we've been all over the place. We've been to the Marsh. You know, we've been to the Dairy Queen, the Snuffies. All over Hopkins and Minnetonka is our zone. Um, and uh, the general store, uh, we've been there for coffee many times. Honestly, Lori, surprisingly, I've never run into anybody uh, of any age or color or race that's ever given us... Um, a stink eye or or Uh not good service, um, we've been received very, very well. Um, And maybe it's the places that I've, you know, that I've brought them to. They're, you know, privately owned, small businesses, uh, obviously other than the arboretum. Um, You know, so I think the types of folks that are in there, uh, you know, are just good, open-minded people to get with. We've had a really good, good luck.
3: Oh, that's that's great. And I think, um, you know, too many times that people don't know, you know, because uh, it's not like you've got a limb cut off or, you know. I mean, it's it's not always obvious to people. And so sometimes I think things can happen um, more subtly. Like if you're in a restaurant and you're trying to order, um, you know, sometimes the wait staff can get a little impatient with someone with dementia who, can't seem to be making a decision and isn't quite sure how they should handle it as a staff person or mm-hmm. someone's checking out at a at a counter and can't make change. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've I've seen situations mm-hmm. like that or just when people come in as a group, they're not quite they're not quite sure, you know, what this group is mm-hmm. about. And so it's it's nice to hear that you really haven't run into that and I would my guess is part of um, why you haven't is most likely because of how you're handling things and representing mm-hmm. your group um, is mm-hmm. to to avoid those mm-hmm. issues because I think when you're in this industry, <laughs> you're so used to looking for triggers
1: mm-hmm. um, that you're looking <laughs> right. for the other guy's
3: triggers too. <laughs> you know, sure. So you're interacting yeah. with, and I think yeah. sometimes we, we don't even know we're doing that. Um, but we're, you know, putting out the fire, you know, before it gets started.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would say that's true. (laughs) I tend to have a, you know, I may look relaxed, but I have complete control over the the visits and the outings, and I'm always there, so. Mm -hmm.
3: Right. Well, and I, I really like the idea of the tour program, I think, you know, when my dad, and he didn't have dementia, he had brain, a brain tumor, but when he when it got mm-hmm. to the point where he had to live in a nursing home, um, he mm-hmm. was just so proud to mm-hmm. hand out the bibs at dinner. I mean, he just, <laughs> I got to go now, you know, mm-hmm. and that was his job, and it gave mm-hmm. him purpose, and he wanted to help take care of the others mm-hmm. in the group, mm-hmm. and he just beamed. He just beamed. You know, over that little task, even when it got really difficult for him to do, um, it was it was very important for him to
0: still belong. And I, I think
3: so many times when we are giving care, we are on such time crunch. We can do it faster, we can do it better, and we uh-huh. we lose the whole point of why we're doing it to begin with.
1: You know, mm-hmm. That it
3: really shouldn't mm-hmm. just be a task; it should be about engagement and and purposefulness. So I mm-hmm. I commend you for incorporating that. I know um, some people are afraid that, especially with licensing, they're going to think that you're using the you know your residence, and, <laughs> and it's like oh, it's so not that. You know, it, it really is about bringing them joy and getting them connected and. Um, Again, when you could do it so much faster yourself, many of the times you know it, mm-hmm. it it's not about using them
1: <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but, you
3: know it's a it's just a really nice, nice way to be able to go um how about what's your philosophy with medications in residence, and you know um people want to know how drugged are they to be able to be there mm-hmm. you know or 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 aren't they, and if they're not, you know what are you doing um so that they don't have to be?
1: Well, um, we um, generally don't have any of our residents on any um, psychotropic drugs at all. As a general Mm -hmm. rule, we just don't use them. I don't think that they're necessary for... um, the vast majority of people with dementia, if they're in the right setting and having their needs met, now um, people certainly come to live in my care home um, on lots of, uh, you know, Haldol and ativan and seroquel and all these drugs to um, <clears throat> designed to keep people's anxiety and behaviors down and we I just work really close with um our physician team to gradually wean the people off of them. Um I just personally in my practice have found that they're helpful in uh, a situation maybe where someone um is in an acute crisis, maybe they're hospitalized or something really traumatic just happened, they, you know, might need it for a couple days or something. But other than that, I I've, I've just found they just bring a lot of side effects um, and keep people from fully engaging um, in their life. So I'm really, mm-hmm. really against them, frankly. Um, and I've I've been real surprised as I um, have, you know, run my care home now. Um, it's going on four years, hasn't been forever. But I've had, um, you know, actually various family members push me You know, let's get mom on you know this drug or whatever, and the
3: magic pill.
1: (laughs) And it's been a lot of education and a lot of you know, frankly, having to stand my ground too. And you know, you know that's not the right, the best thing. It's not the right thing. And you know, let's talk about the side effects. You know, do you really want that for your mom? You know. And I think uh, uh, families everywhere have a fear in the back of their head that, oh, mom's going to get kicked out for something, right, mm-hmm. um, for her behaviors, because they hear other stories. And so it's a lot of working with my families to say, listen, you know, we, we can, you know, as long as they're not harming themselves or, um, you know physically hurting another resident you know we can work with these behaviors you know and yeah. we can do it with our staff we can do it with our words we can do it with our actions um and so that's that's what we do in my home
3: mhm okay well that's that's wonderful I, you know, there's really starting to be more and more talk about, you know, medications, and and I think they have a place. I I think especially when people are in that angst period, um, where you know they're just so nervous and and get a little paranoid and and things. You know, sometimes just that calmness that can bring can can help, but. You're right. When they're, you know, it's give them another pill, um, all the side effects, and then pretty soon you're getting these behaviors and you don't know why, and now you got to take them off everything and start from scratch. And usually if you take them off everything, now they have to go to a jury Psych unit to do that. And, you know, it just gets complicated really quickly. And, um, you know, there isn't there isn't a magic pill, guys. You know, some of it is work we have to do. So um, we have to live our life a little different. We have to look at um, things a little different. We have to prioritize. We have to um, be more spontaneous. We have to let go of control and look at uh, anything we want to do and have a plan to be able to get it done in multiple fashions because you don't know what the reaction is going to be. I um and I have a a friend who's really struggling with her mom who is living in a assisted living right now, and she's just at her her wit's end um, with this disease, and she's like, you know, she just won't stop, and I'm like, she can't, you know, she can't. And I know you still want that person back, but you know, she's not doing this to make you mad. She's not doing this to be irresponsible you know, mm-hmm. with, with her funds, she's doing it because this is what she's always done and she thinks she mm-hmm. still can. You know?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to work with her to, you know, figure out a way, um, so that they both don't go nuts over this, you know, process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what um it sounds like you, you work hard at trying to do, um, coming to a peaceful mm-hmm. arrangement mm-hmm. of is Mm -hmm. this behavior Mm -hmm. really a destructive behavior that really matters or or can we just let it go, you know? Mm -hmm. Not the ideal, Mm -hmm. you know, if I I had my druthers, I wouldn't pick it, but you know Mm -hmm. what, we're making more out of it by trying to get them to stop it and Mm -hmm. we're accelerating things um, than Mm -hmm. we are to just let it pass. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people Mm -hmm. don't look at it in that fashion. Would you agree with that? or
1: I would agree with that. And what I've seen again and again and again, Lori, and I know you know this, is the majority of the time these people just need more one-on-one attention. That is the number one cure for so many of these behaviors.
2: Mm-hmm. Because if
1: you're with that person and you're paying attention to them, uh, you're gonna find out that those behaviors are oftentimes coming from a reason you know they might be hungry, thirsty, cold, often they're just bored <laughs> they're just yeah. bored,
0: and
1: yeah, that's if you are engaging them, mm-hmm, if you're engaging them in something that they find useful or pleasurable, um it's just gonna go away,
3: <laughs> yeah. Very, Promote. very, very, very true.
0: <laughs> I um, all. yeah,
3: not for everybody, but yeah, it, <laughs> it is very interesting. I I met with a, a gentleman here in Minnesota yesterday, and um, I thought we'd talk for thirty minutes, and we talked for over two hours, and is absolutely (laughs) fascinating. He moved here from Boston, and Uh he is a researcher kind of at heart, and what he does is Uh he takes research and then he puts it into everyday language so the rest of us can understand it. But we were talking about Mm. some of his studies where he just sat Uh and observed, um, I think it was 12 residents in a setting where there was Uh extreme behaviors, you know, and this was the Uh setting. And he said he was so shocked um after looking at his research because he- w- he would see the behaviors and then he would see them engage in an activity, and when they were engaged and felt purposeful, no behaviors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he said left to themselves you know they you know they weren't comfortable for whatever reason if they were bored, if they were scared if they i mean there could be a million different things but he said, mm-hmm. "You know it really does get down to making them feel purposeful and and for the rest mm-hmm. of us, if we don't feel purposeful, you know many people get depressed. you mm-hmm. know persons with dementia can still get depressed, you know sure. they can still act out um they're not sure. so different um mm-hmm. you know i I have an equation that i that I always talk about that says you know we have to stop focusing on our differences and focusing on." our similarities, and Mm -hmm. it's just a very simple equation that says our current attitudes plus our past experiences create our perceptions, and then our perceptions Mm -hmm. trigger our reactions, and if we don't like the reaction, then we call it a behavior, and Mm -hmm. we all use the same formula. We're just pulling from different wells Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. that, and so it really is about figuring out the triggers, you know and you have to slow down mm-hmm. to do that
0: and mm-hmm. you really
3: have to have to engage which you know um mm-hmm. also well mm-hmm. in in the setting that you have that's just absolutely critical to do um, mm-hmm. anything else that you want to share with our audience about about your home um Grace Homes a residential care mm-hmm. facility at uh, in in Minnesota and mm-hmm. yeah um, we're in
1: Hopkins Minnesota. Um okay. we do have pets at our home. We um have um a dog, a cat and two birds and often visiting dogs. Um and we um you know, everyone knows now that, you know, pets provide relaxation and people's blood pressure go down when, you know, they're allowed to look at pets and touch pets and interact with them. Um, it also really helps create um, the the home environment for them. So mm-hmm. it just seems. I think it seems to the residents, my residents, it's just normal because I think many of them did grow up with a pet in the home. So mm-hmm. um, I just can't stress enough um, for nurses who are running other facilities to um, get over. Get over it. But a resident might trip over a dog or a cat. You know, uh, it might happen. But they they provide so much joy. Um, well,
3: and chances are they're going to be paying attention to where the dog is. um <laughs> yeah. as well. You know, because they mm-hmm. they want to touch them. They want to watch them. You know, I have a mm-hmm. girlfriend who's so cute, and she said, "Yeah, my dad's got a got a new dog." He says, "Uh, it's a stuffed animal, but he doesn't know it and they talk about you know he's just such a great dog, and he's always right there for him and you know the dad talks about it all the time, and he pets the dog, and the dog sits on his lap and and stuff and then and then the dad chokes goes, But well, he's not very good at fetching <laughs> you know? and then they just they all laugh. And um, oh. but even even that stuffed animal, that perception, mm. you know, his perception mm. is that it's real and it's giving him yeah. comfort, just like with baby dolls. And you know, people go, "Oh, that's yeah. not appropriate," and it's like, how can you say something's not appropriate if it's giving somebody comfort? Right, right. You know, because right. it really right. person-centered care is about their comfort, not ours. And that's a it big is. shift. That, it uh, is a big that,
1: shift. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And their choices as well. We have to remember that. You know, um, I think, you know, coming from a nursing background, you know, and just having it drilled into me, you know, keep these people safe at all costs. Well, you know, when you're talking about people in the last few years of their life, you know, with moderate to severe dementia, you have to, um, you know, open up your thinking and think about what they might enjoy and like and weigh the risks and benefits. You
3: know, I willing to have that. Smart.
1: Yeah, because and none you know, of us
3: want to live help. in a bubble. <laughs> you know, none of us want to live in a protective bubble. I mean, you no. know, we you want to experience life, and so you know, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, but you mm-hmm. can't. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a firm believer that you can't have joy without sadness. You know, you, you it, it's there. There's the yin and the yang that that makes it even more precious. And, again, you know, you don't want someone breaking a hip, but um, there are a lot of ways uh, that that people can do things differently and have great experiences and have wonderful, purposeful lives living with mm-hmm. this disease, not as it.
2: Mm-hmm. But
3: we have to Absolutely. be able to give them the opportunity. And we need people Absolutely. like you to, to step out of the box and say, you know what? I think we got to look at this equation a little bit differently.
1: Mhm, mhm. It takes a lot of creativity, and um, you have to be willing to um, sort of buck tradition. <laughs>
3: yep, yep. There's a lot of there's a lot of structure. There can be a lot of um, naysayers, but I think you know if you follow your heart and think, you know, how would I want to be treated?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's just one mm-hmm. of the simplest
3: things. It's like, well, would I want that? Well, then mm-hmm. maybe they don't either,
1: right? You know, and not exactly. that
3: everybody has my taste, but I mean, if you if you mm-hmm. take that to a broader stance, I think it mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense, um, mm-hmm.
1: real easily
3: mm-hmm. and extremely simply, and and mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden, you know, it's not rocket scientists, um, mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I think sometimes with with any disease, I think we just make it so much more complicated than it has to be.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
3: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. When we're talking life. We're just talking, you know, living. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to analyze everything to the nth degree all oh. the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes
3: we just have to step out and, Take a chance, and if it doesn't mm-hmm. work, then we know next time. Well, that wasn't a you know, that wasn't a good decision, or you know, that didn't work the way that I thought. So let's try something else. I I'm big on um, I have a saying called it's about progress, not perfection, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes we're so bent on trying to be perfect. Mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. you know it slows us down and we lose so many opportunities um mm-hmm. before us because we're worried it's not good enough and mm-hmm. you know there's a very few things in life that are are perfect in the moment so mm-hmm. why are we why are we trying to create that all the time um mm-hmm. i think it, i think we're better off creating um a world where it's just better next time it doesn't have to be perfect
0: mhm mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm.
3: if you accept perfect to me that also says you're gonna get stagnant. You're gonna stop mm-hmm. being creative like you were talking. You know, and how, mm-hmm. how important that is. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well Bethany, how do people get a hold of you if they if they would like to chat with you and learn more about um Grace Holmes?
1: Sure. Well probably the easiest way um, if if anyone googled Grace Holmes, just Grace Holmes, um, they would find us easily on the internet. Um, my my actual personal cell phone is there on our website, um, and um, they can certainly call me six one two six eight five three nine five two. My email is listed there as well. The site's email site or the website address is um with an s.info okay wonderful and, any mm-hmm. any last comments to our audience at all um thank you for listening thank you for hearing about uh residential care homes and i appreciate um Everyone that's out there listening and caring for those with dementia—it's a, a difficult uh, task, frankly. So, um, keep up the good work.
3: Well, great. Well, you have a wonderful week and enjoy your Thanksgiving. And thanks so much for your time today, Bethany. You have a Thank you have a great have, day. Okay. Bye bye. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Again, I just want to remind people, because, again, I get asked all the time about clinical trials, and TauRx Therapeutics is running their third clinical trial for Alzheimer's disease. You can just go to www.don'tforgetalzheimers.com. That's www.don'tforgetalzheimers.com to watch a video and get more information if you are interested I also want to thank, uh, throw out a thanks to Dr. Oz and Sharecare for naming us the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's um, disease. It was very humbling and um, just such an honor to be working um, with them to raise awareness on what we're doing. And the other nine people they picked, um, ten are just absolutely phenomenal. So if you haven't checked that out, you know, go to. Sharecare.com. They have all kinds of information, not just about Alzheimer's disease, but um, many, many different things: heart disease, diabetes, um, just well wellness in general, um, depression, etc. And they've got top tens for many, many categories. And then of course, Dr. Oz just you know is doing incredible work with his his shows as well. I do want to remind people that we will be doing another Dementia Chat, um, which will be coming up on, let's see, November 27th, so right after um, Thanksgiving. And those are uh, free webinars um, open to the public. I'll post those on the blog, um, and so you'll be able to see that from the website and those uh, are a webinar platform where I interview people that have dementia. Rick Phelps from Facebook is one, uh, Harry Urban, and then Donna Marie Baker joined us the other day. And we get a variety of people um, who participate, and you can ask questions and make comments through the chat box. Uh, this last session was about preparing for holidays, and it was great information. And it, and I think we'll probably continue that to see how the holidays went and if people have recommendations um, to make make life smoother during during those uh, changes in routine that happen, um, you know, when the holidays or, or big family events hit there. Um, coming up for radio shows, um, we've got some great shows online here for you. On the 26th, we're going to have... Uh, somebody talking about a brand new book for kids called My New Granny which is just a wonderful, wonderful um, book and I would encourage um, everybody to, to check that out that will be a, just a, a great, great show there and we're also going to have um, PK um, Bevel on and she works with the dementia tours which is absolutely fascinating if you have not uh, heard about Dementia Tours, you're going to want to tune in to that show on um, on the 26th. And then in December, we will be having Al Powers on, Dr. Al Powers. He's the author of Dementia Beyond Beyond Drugs, uh, which is just fascinating. We touched a little bit on that today. And then Judy Berry from Lakeview Ranch, who is just doing some incredible work, um, with two smaller group homes that she has. And the um, it, what she does is takes in people who have been kicked out of multiple communities for behaviors, and she gets them off their drugs. And it's just, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Judy. She's doing some really, really neat work. And then on the 17th, we're going to be having someone talk to us about creating the responses that we want. Um, and so really working, really talking about, you know, how do we analyze those triggers um, to remove uh, the behaviors um, and to make the person feel comfortable and confident in, in their surrounding. So until the next time, just have a wonderful, wonderful week. And um, I hope your um, Thanksgiving is absolutely fantastic, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye now.
0: It's time to rethink.